Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I hope you all had a fabulous weekend and were able to share it with your mothers and mother-in-laws and uh, mothers of your children this uh, this past weekend. Here in Minnesota, we are so excited because we think spring has finally arrived. Uh, last show, I think we still had snow going on here uh, last week, so it's been a little crazy. I uh before we before we get started in the show, I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks because we always get new listeners and so I just want you to have a good base for who we are and why we do what we do. Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe by joining forces in sharing knowledge and just having those everyday conversations about life with dementia and illness, we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those that are in the trenches take back their lives and live with purpose like we all so deserve to do. Um, today, you can join this conversation by utilizing the chat box. Um, you can go ahead and type in a question or comment. I'll be monitoring that as the show progresses. You can also call in live if you would like to pose a question or make a comment uh, that way. And that number is 714-364-4757. That's 714 714- Three six four four seven five seven, and you'll just have to push one. That'll get you into my waiting room, and uh, when it's appropriate, I'll pull you into the conversation. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we are really about raising awareness and giving voice to all those that actually have memory loss, those that are caring for them, both family and professionals, as well as advocates supporting the cause. And again, by working together, I really think that we can make a difference. In the world today, you know, we just can't be, uh, we just can't allow ourselves to be driven by fear anymore. We really need to give hope and support support and teach people how to live with this disease, not as it. I hope you'll check out our website where you'll find lots of other resources from the resource directory and the blog and our YouTube channel, as well as you can access the radio show um, and events and programs that we provide. You just go to www.alzheimersspeaks.com and you'll have access to all of our information there. 
I also want to thank all of our listeners because without you, we would not have been recognized as the number one uh, online influencer for Alzheimer's disease. So give yourself all some kudos there. And the the way uh, you helped us achieve that goal was by liking us and tweeting us. So if you're in front of your computer right now, if you wouldn't mind just making a click and like us or tweet us or share it with your friends, all of those things are so important. And you might not think that it's big, but it is a big deal because most people are touched by this disease but few actually talk about it. And so, again, by sharing information, you're saying you're open uh, to allowing your friends, your coworkers, and your social network uh, to reach out, which is massively important. If you're looking for an Alzheimer's association in your area, I recommend that you go to Alzheimer's Disease International. They have the list of all associations around the world, and that is www.alz.co.uk. And if you're looking for a trial, a clinical trial, go to www.alzheimers.co.uk and then studies.com, and both are plural. And um, that'll be another great way for you to be able to make some connections and, and see if there might be a study out there. And that uh, that study might be for a person with dementia. Uh, there are also other studies available for care partners as well. Today's show is going to be quite fun, and we're, we're starting it off on just such a positive foot. I'm just thrilled to death to have one of my um, national speaking cohorts with me, Linda McLean. And Linda has made it her life's purpose to use her leadership skills and talents to lift up and be a role model for others while striving towards becoming well-rounded um, and, and just a, a great spiritual being. Each day, with a spirit of gratitude, Linda works to do more, be more, and help more. For over 25 years, she has contributed to businesses and personal lives of her clients worldwide through her coaching business. She is also a number one international best-selling author who has penned three books to date. Through it all, she strives to maintain balance in all areas of her life, particularly that work-life balance. And uh, I want to welcome Linda to the show today. She's just an extraordinary woman, and again, so grateful to have you with us. How are you today, Linda? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much, Lori, and it really is my honor and pleasure to be able to, um, to be on the show today. Well, I'm so excited to have you. You've, you do extraordinary work, and you've got the Gratitude Journal, and you've done so many things to help people find balance. And that can be a really difficult thing when the diagnosis of dementia hits. And mm-hmm. so I thought, what a prime opportunity to talk to an expert on how the heck do we you know, stay in a grateful state when a catastrophe like this hits. Um, but before we dive into that, I, I always like to ask all of my uh, my guests, has dementia touched you or your family or friends in any fashion? 
Well, uh, yes, my husband's grandmother, she suffered with Alzheimer's. And although uh, I was not living close enough to her, you know, just knowing what a person is going through and the caregivers around them, you know, my, my heart just went out to them. So um, I guess if I'm a, I'm a remote distance, because we're in Reno, Nevada, and they were in, in Manitoba, Canada, um, it was just heartbreaking to know what was going on with her life and then and then really difficult for all the people around her. Okay. Yeah, it's it, it is a process and everybody struggles, you know, through it. Mm-hmm. So, um well, let's let's talk a little bit. You've worked with hundreds of people and helped them work through their blocks. And, you know, to me a block is a real common term, but can you tell people what you mean by, uh, you know, kind of a spiritual block or a, a roadblock in their life mm-hmm. path? How do yeah, you Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. Yeah, and you're you're it's correct. A lot of people when they think about blocks, they don't quite can grasp what it is, although we all go through them. We all go through them at different times. And what and what 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 I determine as a as a block is wherein you feel stuck. And you just feel bogged down. And something that you alluded to earlier was hope. There are days, regardless of what a person does in their life, what they're faced with, sometimes just feel there's not hope. Like what what is what good is going to come out of all of this? And so that's how we kind of determine a block. I Means you feel like something's blocking you from having a like a joyous life with your family or or watching watching a loved one um, you know experience illness you know the illness and so to me that's how we classify a block whether it's in someone's business or their or their spirit or their or their personal life it's just feeling like oh what how can i go forward how can i put my next foot forward if that um helps to describe it it's like a big no. obst- obstacle and um go ahead no i think that makes a lot of sense cuz so, some of us get so stuck i mean you you know when we're scared we just get frozen um, yes. many times. Other people get really depressed. Other people go off and try to self-medicate and make mm-hmm. it go away. I mean, there's all different ways that we we tend to deal with these blocks. What would you say is the most important thing to remember um, when it comes to overcoming these kinds of obstacles? Well, I think for all of us to remember is that it's just an obstacle, and we either get, we're going to go around it, we're going to go over it, we're going to go under it, but there is a way to to move beyond it. And I think that's the most important thing, and that's where the hope comes in. And then also kind of knowledge, just kind of sitting back and going, just a second, okay, this is just an obstacle. What is What are some different ways that we can move around this? And really be solution-minded. And, and and as difficult as that may feel at times, it's 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 so important that we take charge of how we think about a given obstacle or block, because our thinking can definitely get us bogged down even further if we don't have any hope, if we don't have any any light or insight into the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I think that's really good uh, good information because we we run up against obstacles 
constantly in our life. Mm-hmm. And and so dementia, though it might be a great big one, cancer might be another, a death, a divorce, uh, moving. I mean, there's all kinds of challenges. It could be a test that we're taking or <laughs> hoping for a promotion. I mean, um, you know, a, a kid's challenging us. We have obstacles constantly. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it might be, you know, what are we going to make for dinner? We just don't want to make the decision. <laughs> right. And, and sometimes... And sometimes we create our own obstacles. Like I said, oh, my gosh, circumstances, I think I create them half the time. So <laughs> the key thing is, is, is awareness. And, and, again, going back to what is it that we can do? Just, we stop for a moment. Just stop for a moment and have a level of awareness. And there's kind of three things that I always look at. Number one, having a level of awareness. What truly is happening here? The second thing is acceptance. You know, it is what it is. There are some things we cannot change, even though our heart's desire is to change it. So we accept it. And the third thing is action. Action, what can we do about it? Who can we help? Um, who, who, can we, who can bring in that can help us? Or what is it we can do? So having a level of awareness, just accepting what is. And the third thing is, is action. And we know with, with anything we're faced with in life. We we sometimes have to just get up off the chair and take action. And, um, you know, the first thing about action is how you think about things, to really have that sense of hope and think positive about a situation, even though it's it feels like um, very overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I, and I would say for me, out of those three, typically the, the toughest one is the middle one, the acceptance. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if that's common for most. Um, mm-hmm. But but I know for me it's you know I can see that what's happening a lot of times but it's that oh I have mm-hmm. to accept that I I can or can't do anything about it yeah and you're right and there's that I can't mm-hmm. <laughs> you're yes well yes we've all been there because within within that that arena of acceptance there are so many different emotions there can be anger there can be guilt there like there are so many different emotions that we experience but the key thing is is just really being aware what are you really feeling because whatever is faced with one of our family members when we can be stronger ourselves for ourselves and i don't mean to sound selfish in that way but when we can be the best that we can be for ourselves then we are better to serve those around us and um and, and being able to be aware what emotion or and emotion and situation is in that arena of acceptance mhm makes makes a lot of makes a lot of sense to me what's mm-hmm. um in terms of getting people to just recognize or or you know find that level of awareness is there some techniques because some people do just spin and they kind of mm-hmm. I, I don't know i think there's some people that just kind of spin in drama and that's yes. what they're used to mm-hmm. and you know h- how do they make that shift well you know it's like everything in life is going pretty fast. And it is. In today's society, everything is going so fast. One of the key things that we can all do is to just slow down and take that time to take stock, to think of what is really happening. And sometimes if you can't do it by yourself, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, you do every, each and every one of us has a power within to accomplish many things and to, and to help many people. Um, 
but if you if you do feel stuck that you can't do it yourself, then have someone help you. You know, seek out some 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 help for someone to help you get clear on what it is. Because being clear allows you to really take that next step. And you can usually take that next step or take action quicker when you're clear about the direction that you're going. Um, so I hope I hope that helps. I mean, it, it really is just stopping and taking time. The answers are within. Mm-hmm. And um, either you can do it yourself or have someone have, have someone help you go through the process of clarity. Now, you know, there are some people that believe that that gratitude really isn't something that they can cultivate within. They think it's either there or not. They're happy or they're sad. Um, and they they don't really understand, I don't think, all the times the importance of living with gratitude, which mm-hmm. I, you know, I've gone on a, on a huge spiritual journey myself. And, and I've always thought that I've been grateful. But there's, there's a difference when you start living um, with that being one of your primary rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. And um, can you tell people why you feel gratitude is so essential, especially in today's world? Um, it's 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 uh, it's critical for a couple different reasons. Number one, it's important for you, the person, to really be able to embrace gratitude. And someone says, "Well, what really? What is gratitude?" Well, when you when you um, are aware of the things that you're grateful for in your life. And this goes back to how you think and approach different situations. Um, you know, gratitude is being, uh, again, I go back to being aware of the things, people, places, things that in your life that really support you. And, you know, people can, can um, really, how can I say, sink into being aware of what it is. You know, there are so many things in, things in today's society, and then it happened for many years, that we just take for granted. And we do. We take it for granted until such time as we're faced with that challenge or mm-hmm. that unfortunate circumstance of somebody losing a leg or somebody uh, being diagnosed with cancer. We take a lot of things in life for granted. And if we can pull ourselves back and and start and again again I guess for for myself I do it every morning. Some people do it in the evening. Um, you know the key thing is you, you you can even make those little tweaks throughout the course of the day. Is to just again is taking that that a few minutes. It doesn't take long to just say wow what am I grateful for today? And and what we do is I you know and what I've coached others for is just to jot down a list of ten things. And see that's part of the fun is to challenge yourself because it's not really not about anybody else. It has to start with you mm-hmm. and being um, responsible for how you think and how you act because there isn't anybody on this earth that can cause us to think um, the way that we think. We are totally responsible. And so when we are thinking about something, these are our own thoughts. We can either look at the situation as a positive situation or a negative situation. And if we choose, if we choose to take that negative road, it's going to create and, and be a heavier burden on us and everybody around us. And it really, it's it's an emotion. And see, you know, emotion is. Um, I, I kind of explain it this way: is you know, when you drop a pebble in a pond and you see the waves going out, that's almost like a way of like to describe emotion. And when you drop that pebble in the pond, if it's one of, oh, my gosh, okay, 
in the back of my mind, life may be putting a lot of challenges on my plate. But you know what? I am so grateful that, I don't know, I've got this good cup of coffee or there are some great nurses or doctors or, or we have the availability to go to different centers for help. If you even can just hold on to that one thing, that will really help you throughout the day. Therefore, if you're helping yourself, guess what, Lori? As you know, we're able to help a lot more people. Yeah, it's, you know, everybody always thinks, well, it's my decision and just affects me, but it doesn't. You know, our mm-hmm. our energy field, our spirit, our attitude, you know, is part of society and we're all interconnected if we want mm-hmm. to, believe it or not. That's kind mm-hmm. of a scapegoat for us to say, I don't have to be responsible for how I affect other people. But we do. We have to be very conscious of not only how are we treating ourselves, but, uh, you know, how does that affect other people? I think Mm -hmm. that's why the world's such a big mess right now is we're not good at doing that. Yeah, well, uh, we become very self and and, and not not even purposely we become mm -hmm. self-centered. Yep. But but and it's kind of like a, a, the flip of the coin. There's a part of you that you do have to have some introspect into yourself about how you are managing your life. And you see, it, that's where it starts. And then it kind of, you know, goes out from there. But, um, you know, that simple, that simple process of starting each day of thinking, thinking of, and, and the challenge is writing down 10 things. And that mm-hmm. is part of the exercise it's like it's like exercising your brain or how it's good to have exercise it makes your heart stronger your muscles stronger you know exercising how we view our current situation how we view the world has a, has a really significant impact on on everyone well in those 10 things uh, you know i think we're almost trained that everything that happens in our life is supposed to be this big you know um, shebang and it yeah. doesn't have to be it could just be the way somebody looks at you or a smile mm-hmm. or a glance or a touch or a, a song or mm-hmm. you know uh, you know your health uh, your pets your family friends I mean so many little things it might be you're grateful that you finished a project that's been haunting you in your desk mm-hmm. <laughs> right oh, oh definitely and see what that does is that uh, that automatically puts you in an emotional state of feeling happier, and mm-hmm. and and when you we come when people come across when you come across someone who's happier, you kind of want to be around them, and that is what helps us as we go forward. Because when we we are focusing on the things that we're grateful for, we just feel happier. The burden doesn't feel quite as heavy on our shoulders. Yes, the burden may still be there, or the circumstance may stay. May you know could still be there, but make no mistake, it does just add a little bit of a of an uplift to your step as you. Um, and again, I keep going back to starting the day. You know, if we can can have every day, you know, as many as possible, to be as joyous, and that we can keep our thinking um, clear and and being grateful for what we have or what we can do, or that we can get in a car and drive here, that we can can have the food we desire, whatever it might be. And, you know, there's a big, long, long, long list. Um, that in itself kind of puts you in more, you know, we, some people will call it like, a, like a, a positive vibration. And just like when something vibrates, even though it's vibrating in one spot, it can be felt somewhere else. Well, that's where um, your happiness and how you embrace life goes out to others. 
That makes sense. I I know you had mentioned um, doing it in the morning. I I find for me I like doing it at night mm-hmm. because then I sleep on it. And yep. then I, but then I also do it in the morning again, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. a huge mind shift. And I think for me, one of the the biggest shifts that I have found in terms of living a life with gratitude is what you had mentioned. It slows me down to be mm-hmm. quiet, mm-hmm. so that so that I even take time to know what is good in my life. Yes. And I and I know that that might sound really strange, but I think we overlook so much good because we're so busy yeah oh it's it's true guys i always say you know what it's good that i slow down in the morning because it helps me to ramp up for the rest of the day and i <laughs> and i agree and you see and this is the key thing is for people to honor what serves them best mm-hmm. it serves me best to in in the morning i've got my morning kind of little routine which again i'm always on a pretty fast pace so it's not like it takes me hours and hours and hours um but but getting centered on on what i'm grateful for and then um throughout the course of the day as as you know the little arrows are zinging back and forth really um you know stopping and you know i mean just stopping meaning in your mind and going no nope, no nope, this is good this is happening for a reason this will be good what's the solution and you move forward and you kind of keep in that in that in that vibration and and keep in that that happy zone so to speak and it's not like you're a pollyanna i mean i'm i'm not trying to paint the picture that everything is all perfect and wonderful well stuff happens but the uh-huh. key thing is if we can stay in that zone as often as possible number one we feel better and we're just we're in a better position to serve others to help them with whatever they're faced with whether it's dementia alzheimer's with you know the the family members it, it whatever it is we're just in 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 a better place to serve and i guess that's what i really focus on is 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 serving and and how you think about a situation there's there's a great little sequence it, you know what you think about uh creates an image on the on the screen of your mind almost like your mind was a tv screen and what so what you think about you have an image on the on the screen of your mind. So if I said dog, I mean, for anybody who's listening or for yourself, for me, a picture of a dog will come on the screen of your mind. So that's the image. So if you, what you think about creates an image. Now, with that image attached to it is some form of emotion. And with emotion, what we get next is there's usually some form of, of action that happens. If somebody's afraid of a dog, the emotion will be fear and they will retract. Whereas my daughter's dog, I mean, I love him to pieces. So when I think of and I think of a dog, and I get the picture of um, <clears throat> Palmer on the image on the screen of my mind, my emotion is love, and I, I want to move toward him. And so, therefore, the results I get is having this joyous relationship with the dog. And I, I'm kind of using the dog just as an example. People can think about it in their in their personal lives, in their in their business lives. And so that series, what you think about creates an image on the screen of your mind that's directly associated to your emotion or your motivation. And the next thing is action. And the final result is the results that you get in your life. So if anybody wants to create change in their life and they stop and look at the results that they have today and make no mistake, it will, it will filter back to how you thought about something. And um, you know, you kind of think into results that you that you you desire, and how you can help and serve others and support others and kind of live life. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because I think a lot of people think that um, you know, well, it's not how I'm thinking. But again, then you'd have to slow down and really analyze. 
you know, what do I think of this mm-hmm. situation, you know, mm-hmm. and how, how am I? And, and it's about taking responsibility, but it's a, it, it can be such a simple change mm-hmm. um, once you embrace it. Once oh. you embrace the, the possibility of you, you have nothing to lose to be well, exactly to try to live with gratitude, but it it's kind of incredible. I know when I first started it, I was really shocked, and people actually made comments to me saying, "You look different. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are really brilliant." Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on in your life? And I'm like, well, well, nothing. And they're like, no, something, something has totally changed. And what kind I of coffee think, are you drinking? They probably ask you, what well, kind of exactly. coffee are you drinking? <laughs> exactly. You know, give me that bump. I want one of yeah. those. And yeah. um, and so it does show, even though we might not notice it. I, mm-hmm. I noticed it. I think. I, I think I noticed it um, emotionally and physically in my body. My body mm-hmm. just felt better. It, I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel as sluggish. Um, I didn't feel as down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you just, I don't know. It makes, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, makes, it, make, it makes a big difference. There are all sorts of little, and, and, you, know, and you had asked the question before, uh, you know, how can someone kind of move beyond? Well, there's all sorts of little tips and tools. I know in the book that I wrote, Next Level Living, um, Today's Guide for Tomorrow's Abundant Life, there are little um, tips and tools that kind of help you get clear. You know, just recognizing how how a person has been thinking, like what we call like their old beliefs, and then mm-hmm. focusing on what are the new beliefs you really want to embrace. And mm-hmm. and, you, um, and this is a key thing. We just have to understand what we can change and what we can't change. But we are the driver to put into action the things we can change. And the first thing is our attitude. Because having an attitude of gratitude or just you know, shifting your attitude into looking, at, looking um, at a current situation with a little better light is, is really what will help you move forward. And, and how you stated it, Lori, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, When you walk through a store and, and you're smiling at people, they will smile back because they feel that wonderful energy that you, you, you put off. So that is, mm-hmm. goes back into, like as I said before, the pebble in the pond and the, and the waves that go out. You know, you just walk into a store, you put your shoulders back, you go, oh, man, today is a great day. I'm going to make it a great day. And you create mm-hmm. that day. And it, it has that ripple effect on people. And, just, and if somebody doesn't believe it, just go out and practice it. You'll have fun. Just go out and, like, pretty smile and, as, you know, they say, fake it till you make it, right? And, <laughs> <laughs> but it has an impact. You know, there's so many books on, on, on sales, and, and that's one of the things that they say about, you know, the person who is a successful salesperson in life mm-hmm. are filled with enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And now it's not over-the-wall enthusiasm, but just to be enthusiastic about life, and even if somebody takes it just up just a notch, you do. Yep. You personally feel better. Well, and I think one of the biggest things is when you live a life of gratitude and you, you're you accepting of others and, and, you know, just what's before you and, and you're feeling comfortable and confident, I, what I find is that you make a safe place for others mm-hmm. to feel okay. Yeah. And, and to... And, and to feel happy and to be able to, you know, a lot of times people will say, I, w- I want what you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, how, you know, you've got a lot going on, but you're still, you're still doing okay. Mm-hmm. I want what you have. How did you do that? And and again, I think a lot of it is just 
slowing down enough mm-hmm. to appreciate all of the good we're missing when we're moving so fast. Can mm-hmm. you give people maybe a tip if they um, would come across a, a diagnosis such as dementia, but it could be anything, because um, uh, that can be a you know one that just kind of slaps you to the yeah. ground at times. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for them to do? Is there is there a maybe a a step by step process that you would would recommend them to try? Well, I think like with anything, whatever whatever you're faced with, you when you get that news, is to just again and you and I have said it, just stop and say, okay, this 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 sucks. This is really awful. Whatever. But mm-hmm. then think, okay, what are some of the things that are in my court? What are the, what are some of the things that are good? And it's it's almost like, you know, when you go to bake a cake, you got to go and make sure you've got all the ingredients. What are the things that are going to add, you know, the the combination of everything to make to make a good cake? So if you have if there's a, a health situation, you got to stop and say, okay, you know what? Okay. This is, I've got a great doctor here, I've got this. And start to think of the people around you that can support you. Because we cannot, um, we can't do our best just on our own. It has to start with us, but we really do need to rely on those around you. So, number one, just really take stock. Okay, who's around me that can really help me? I mean, sometimes it may be, isn't it great that I've got a girlfriend that I can that can support me or talk to me or, or whatever it is, or the doctors or the, or the facility, um, a multitude of different things. So that's probably the first step is to just kind of take stock of, okay, what's, you know, what's, what's my current situation? Mm-hmm. And what are, the, what are the good things that I have here? And you know you're going to be hit with a lot of bad things, but really just try to identify the, the positive things or the people there to support you. I guess it would probably be the first step. The second step is honoring yourself, that you need the care too. And how can care come to you? And it comes in different ways. The first thing is to really take care of yourself. And that is wherein just keep your spirit as, as healthy as, as you possibly can by taking the days and, you know, however you do it through prayer, meditation, but being grateful for what you personally have, okay? And and not don't be shy to reach out. That's the other thing. A lot of people, they really try to solve everything on their own. Well, that even creates kind of sometimes a heavier burden, don't you think, Lori? Mm-hmm. And so, yep. you know, re- reach out. It's okay to reach out. People do want to help. And if you've got the, your, the right um, tribe around you, everybody will contribute the best way that they can. Not everybody's going to, you know, be able to step up and do everything. But make no mistake, and, and, and be aware there are people out there to help you. And they always say we're only six degrees separation from anybody we need to know or we, what we want to know. So this is why maybe a, a, you know, a connection through one a connection through another connection that will be the person that can help you. And so, um, and then every day you just, you just got to live your life the best you can. And you just, really try to live your life the best you can. So I guess those would those would be some of the, again, they're just my tips of mm-hmm. how it may be helpful for someone who is, um, who's faced with, with a, a challenging situation. Yeah. I, and I guess I would add to that last one, and this took me a while to learn, is because I always thought I was trying to live my life the best I can, but the piece that I was missing was to know that I can always improve and let go. Because mm-hmm. I used to beat myself up. 
mm-hmm. you know, going, but I could have done it better, and I would go down that path instead of going, I can, okay, I've learned that, I can improve next time. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a huge shift and something I'm to this day still grateful for. <laughs> yeah. I finally learned that lesson because I think that self-talk um, and that inner critic can sometimes oh. just be so abusive to us. And, yeah. um, and it's important to... Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. See, the self-talk comes from how we think about ourselves. And if we're just talking about ourselves personally, it's how we think about ourselves. So we mm-hmm. have to think positive about ourselves and our ability and what we have to offer. We don't have to be the answer to everything. When I'm working with clients, I say, I'm going to do my absolute best for you in whatever situation I can, but I may not have the answers for everything. And that's the key thing is for us to, to to really, and I think you brought up a great thing, is how are we talking to ourselves? Mm-hmm. And what sort of what sort of guilt trip are we putting on ourselves? And that's where you just, you, just stop it. Just stop doing that. <laughs> and it's, it's like exercising. It, I don't know. It's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Now, Linda, you have um, a gratitude journal. How mm-hmm. do how would people get a hold of that? Um, you can go to my website, uh, McLean International, M-C-L-E-A-N, international.com, and under products and resources, there are different, different. my Next Level Living book is there and my gratitude journal is there. That's likely the best way, or you can um, you can call our 1-800 number, 888-572-8326, and I'll repeat that, one 572 and just ask to speak with Deborah. She manages all that for us, and she would get get the book or whatever book you would like um, out to you, and we always offer a package deal. So um, just mention it to her, and she'll take care of you. Yeah, the Gratitude Journal has been a fun. It, it's interesting how, you know, we, we dream and we, we want to help others, and sometimes we just don't even understand the help mm-hmm. that we can do. And this is why I always say to people, just don't underestimate yourself. Just think positive. Go out each day. Try to just try to do your best. Try to just spread the love. I mean, it sounds it might sound kind of flower childish, but just spread the love. Be happy, and you just never know the lives that you touch. And and I've just been. I feel so blessed and grateful that I even took action and completed this gratitude journal because the feedback that I get from it has been has been really wonderful. So, mm-hmm. okay, I'm glad that I did it. <laughs> Well, great. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate the time that you spent. And um, I would encourage people to go ahead and and go to your website and check out that gratitude journal. I I think that it can be something that can help uh, people, you know, all people of all ages. Uh, I think it's something that we need to start teaching our kids uh, younger in life uh, about gratitude as well. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being with us. You have a great week. It's been my pleasure, Lori. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, our next guest, I um, am very excited to have. Uh, we've got Dr. Daniel Nightingale and his wife, Kathleen Nightingale, with us. And uh, we refer to Dr. Uh, Nightingale as uh, Dr. Dan. And he is a leading UK clinical dementia specialist who now uh, lives and is based in the U.S. He's also an author, a writer a speaker, and a world leader in the use of hypnosis for people living with dementia. And I'm really excited to hear about his his methodology that he's using. Um, 
He uh, was doing some groundbreaking research with Dr. Simon Duff, which led to the development of a training program for for clinicians in this specialized therapy. Dr. Dan is the founder and CEO of the Dementia Doctor in the UK and co-founder and CEO of Dementia Therapy Specialist, which is based here in the U.S. He's also the editor and the chief um, journalist at the Dementia Therapy Care magazine. So, Dr. Dan, how are you doing today? Good morning, Laurie. I'm doing very well, thank you. And then we'll get start. We'll uh, about your your new therapy uh, that you're doing here. Kathleen Nightingale is a certified clinical hypnotherapist and dementia therapy specialist, and she trained um, her dementia therapy under the guidance of of Dr. Dan. Her expertise also includes medical um, imagery, fears and phobias, stress. Uh, weight and pain management. Kathleen is uh, clinically certified by the American Council of uh, Hypnotist Examiners and is a board certified um, um, is board certified by the American Board of Hypnotherapy. She's also a speaker and facilitates dementia therapy seminars with Dr. Dan, in addition to being an award-winning wellness author. And um, Kathleen, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Lori? It's great to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have the two of you with us. I'm going to start out because I always pose this question to to each guest. And uh, I'm going to start with Dan first. Uh, Dr. Dan, have you um, been personally touched in your family or friendships or coworkers with dementia? Hi, uh, Laurie. Not not directly with family members, but certainly with friends and people that I work closely with. Um, so that's how, how I've been touched personally by dementia. But of course, I've worked and supported people living with dementia since around about 1992 and developed some very, very close relationships and friendships with, with those guys. So that's my okay. kind of level of personal. Great. Personal how, how about... How about you, Kathleen? Have you have you had uh, any situations uh, where people have been diagnosed in your family or close friends? Uh, I did have a family member who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and it's interesting to note, looking back, now that I'm specializing in dementia therapy, how uh, somebody can be de- de-skilled because we have this belief that, you know, we, well, you can't do things anymore. We need to take take this away from you. And, you know, they, they lose the ability to do things and, and deteriorate more rapidly. And, and what we do at Dementia Therapy Specialists is we actually have therapies that uh, help improve quality of life and longevity for people living with Alzheimer's and other dementias. So okay. I can really see how, this, how great this, these tools are. Wonderful. Um, Dan, I'm going to have you tell us a little bit more about yourself, if you want to give people a little bit more background, and then, um, you know, how the dementia therapy specialists uh, got started. Okay, well, I started out as an RN back in 1989. I trained as an RN. And after I qualified, I went to work in forensic learning disabilities and forensic mental health. So basically working with um, offenders, who have low intellectual ability and who needed support and rehabilitation. 
from that, I was asked if I would go and work in elderly care for six months. And I said, um, no, thank you. Not elderly care. It's not something I'm interested in. It's not something I want to do. So my boss went away, and then two days later he came back, and it became a directive as opposed to a request. And I was sent to work in a, a home in Bradford, which is in the north of England, in Yorkshire. And what I saw when I first went in there absolutely horrified me. Well, this is back in 1992, uh, stroke 93, and just seeing the way that people living with dementia were being treated, and that was just, it wasn't just older people, but we had some younger people placed in an, an elderly care home as well, because at that time, you know, lack of understanding, lack of education for people. People were living together, so it didn't matter how old you were. If you had dementia, you were, and I will use this negative language, you were shoved into this, this facility and just basically left to get on with it. And when I first went there, I just thought this was absolutely abhorrent. And I knew very little about dementia at that time. But even looking around, I knew that this wasn't right. There was something wrong somewhere. So, for example, there were things like um, all these people sat around the room in a centrifugal position. So all around the wall. And no interaction. Nobody talking with them. Just feeding pills and things like that. Um, people sitting in titty-back chairs so that they couldn't get out and fall. Um, and, and all those kind of things made me think, that this just isn't right. And there were lots of other things as well, environmental factors and, and stuff like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. So from there, I decided I've got two options. I can either go back to this wonderful world of forensic learning disabilities and forensic mental health, which you know is an area that lots of people enjoy working in, or I can stay in dementia care and try and do something about it. So I decided to stay. And um, I retrained, did, did lots of, you know, courses and lots of, uh, lots of other training and started to try and make a difference for people living with dementia and those supporting them. So that's how I got into the dementia side of, of the care sector. Okay. And Kathleen, how about you? How did you land here? Well, I was already I was doing clinical hypnotherapy and living in Arizona, noticing the aging population, you know, the retirement population here, and thinking about the needs of people and also having experience, you know, watching somebody pass on who had Alzheimer's. And I, we don't like to use the word suffering, uh, living with dementia. We like to put it. Um, and was trying to you know, think, gee, I wonder how hypnotherapy would work with dementia. And, and, you know, I was asking around and people said, oh, well, you know, weight, smoking, and all of that. But nobody was using it that I could see that I had heard of. And I did some research and, you know, I kept coming up with Dr. Dan and his work with Dr. Duff, uh, an amazing study that they did several years ago in the U.K. And it showed how it improved seven areas of quality of life, including short and long-term memory concentration, social, socialization, activities of daily living. I was just so impressed by it that I contacted Dr. Dan and uh, another uh, neuroscientist from UCLA uh, was also contacting him at the same time, and we got together and did some training with him. And 
kind of the rest is history. And we said, you know, let's get together and start doing this work and, you know, spreading the word about uh, how we can improve the quality of life for people living with Alzheimer's and other dementias. And oh. so that's what we're doing. Okay. Well, it's it's always nice to kind of have that little bit of background. Now, you know, a lot of your your focus it has to do with hypnotherapy and um, psychotherapy. And Dr. Dan, can you explain the difference between the two? Because not everybody knows the terms. Okay, hypnotherapy um, is is a way of helping people to relax, um, taking them down into a really very very deeply relaxed state so that they can begin to forget about any negative issues and any challenges that they've got and start working with people who are in that hypnotic state, in that deeply relaxed state, and work on some issues and help people overcome these these challenges. It's interesting to hear what Linda was saying about attitudes and gratitudes and things. And one of the things that we focus on is something called positive illusion. And that basically means that if you're living with a a particular challenge, and obviously today we're talking about dementia, so if you're living with dementia and the everyday challenges that that brings, then having a positive attitude can make a difference to how you live with dementia, how well you live with dementia. So we use hypnosis to help people overcome some of those challenges. And we only ever see a problem as a solution in disguise. That's all the problem is. It's just a solution in disguise. So using hypnosis is a way in which we help people overcome those challenges. There's a lot of myths about hypnosis. Things like, you're going to take over my mind, you're going to control me, you're going to make me do things I don't want to do. But this is just a myth. You can never do, you can never make somebody do anything that they don't want to do in hypnosis. People who go through clinical hypnosis with people who are trained to deliver clinical hypnosis will will tell you that well, at any time it's felt as though I could just get up and walk out of the room. And that's how hypnosis is. You know, you, the person is always in control of the situation. There's nothing to fear from it. There's nothing to be afraid of. And, you know, it's something that can only have positive benefits for people. So that's how we use hypnosis. Psychotherapy, there are lots and lots of different modes of psychotherapy, lots of different types. And some of the ones that we use, we we kind of get confused about. Well, psychotherapy is is cognitive behavior therapy. Psychotherapy is neuro-linguistic programming. Well, all these things are kind of interrelated but different. So uh, um, using things like person-centered counseling, Rogerian counseling, psychoanalysis, you know, trying to find what it is that's triggered this individual's challenge, this individual's problem. And they all combine, they all work together. You can never use one thing without the other. So hypnosis isn't a standalone therapy. You would use other modalities. So, for example, we may well use hypnosis in conjunction with cognitive behavior therapy or in conjunction with uh, person-centered counseling and things like that. So that's that's really the difference, but not the difference, if you know what I mean. They're all interrelated. Sure. They all work side by side. Sure. And they're yep. all individual as well. So if you know, if you 
if I was looking to work with you and looking to work with Sam and Duff, you may both have the same type of dementia. You may both have been diagnosed at the same time. But obviously it's individual, so you'd both be living with it in different ways and you'd have different challenges. So I would probably use a different approach for each one of you. Based okay. on on yourself. And we always put the person at the centre. So person centred care for us means true person centred care. So the individual is always in control. They're always at the centre of the the therapy and uh, the assessment process. And we always plan the programme together. So it's not okay. it's not me saying this is what we're going to do, it's us saying maybe this is what we should do. Great. Um, I, and I can say when you had mentioned about the hypnotherapy, about people not being in control, um, I was, uh, I, I, this was in a pub one time, <laughs> but, but, it, but, it, but it really stood out to me. And you know, I went under the whole hypnosis thing and they tried to get you to do all these silly things. And there was probably eight of us up on stage. And then somebody got real aggressive and I just, I snapped out of it instantly and, you know, then I tried to kind of fake my way through it. And, I, you know, I talked with him after. I said, I'm not sure what happened. And he says, it's because we can never make you ever do anything that you're not comfortable doing. You know, you, you, you'll, you'll snap out of it. And so I can say from a personal side, it happened to me. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I felt very comfortable. And I was glad that I was able to kind of pull myself out of that situation because it was just kind of a, a bizarre thing. And, and I'm sure that those types of situations uh, wouldn't happen in a in a clinical situation. Like I said, this was in a in a pub where people were drinking, yeah. and probably not the best atmosphere to be well, to be trying. You have, you like, have like a, a trap door, a sliding door between the conscious and the subconscious mind. And uh-huh. when you use hypnosis, you open that door. Mm-hmm. But only when you get permission from the individual do you does that door open and you go into the subconscious mind. You know, the subconscious mind is where all the memories are and where we need to tap into to work with that individual. Sitting on top of that door, if you can imagine, just a, like a, a little man that we call a critical factor. The critical factor is, is all-seeing, all-knowing, and he watches everything that's happening. And if you, as, as the therapist, take Laurie Libet into deep hypnosis and then say to Laurie, Laurie, Please, can I mm-hmm. have your bank account details? Your critical factor will say, oh, stop, and the, the door will close, and as you did on stage in the pub, you will come straight out of hypnosis because, you know, your your conscious mind and your subconscious mind for critical factor knows that that is not the right thing to do, that is wrong, that is immoral, and that is, is not how it's meant to be. So that's why you're always in control because of that critical factor watching over the memory and the mind all the time. Okay. Now, um, when it comes to psychotherapy, can you dive in and, and maybe give us some examples of how how that would be utilized with, with somebody with dementia or someone caring for someone with dementia? Okay. Again, as I said, you know, different, different approaches and different techniques. So it's different strokes for different folks, and it depends on what your particular presentation is, your particular challenge. If I give you one example of where, where I use doll therapy as part of a psychotherapeutic approach for a lady, this lady would wake up. In the, she lived in a care home. She would wake up in the middle of the night. 
she wasn't able to verbalize what the issue was, but she started to scream. She started to bang on doors. She started to search for something. So what, you know, the traditional thing is form the doctor and the doctor will may well, may well prescribe a particular drug to help that person sleep. So what I did was investigated why she wasn't sleeping, investigated what was happening and what was the possible reason for this and discovered that, you know, when she was a young lady, she'd lost a baby. And so what we did was put a cot and a doll in her room and then at night time when she woke up, she would look for baby, find baby in the cot, take baby, get back into bed and go back to sleep. No need for medication, no need for anything other than giving her what it was that she actually needed and what she wanted and what she was looking for. So that was one, you know, one example of where a psychotherapeutic approach was used using doll therapy to a very okay. successful, with a very successful outcome. Okay. Uh, you can I, you can take you can take psychotherapy further than that and, and you know, do psychoanalysis psychoanalysis or people can be in psychoanalysis for years and years and years psychoanalyzing their psyche and psychoanalyzing their personality and finding out where the challenges are and what the issues are and what the problems are but that's not something that we do you know it's as I said years and years you can be in psychoanalysis and it's not. It's not something that we do. Okay, great. Um, uh, Kathleen, is there anything that you want to to add to what Dr. Dan was talking about? Um, well, one thing that's great about the therapies that we use and, and how we reach people, I want to mention is uh, via Skype. We have some clients worldwide, um, and that's worked really well, even with hypnotherapy that we've been using. Um, there was something else I wanted to add here. Anyway, the Skype is great, and I—it's just amazing. What, what I want to say too is that Dr. Dan was also involved in something in the UK called Always a Last Resort. He mentioned uh, not using um, drugs so much. You know, we're we're so into prescribing a lot of times for things. We we look for the solution to what's what's the core issue that's going on here and how can we help and relieve that anxiety without medication and um and the always rela- always the last resort um and he can explain it better but you know they're really looking over there in the UK to you know helping people with their anxieties without you know just instantly giving out the pills for like antipsychotic drugs that can be very dangerous of course so that's what we're that's the core of what we do, you know. It's, uh, of course, there's a place for medication, but also, you know, how can we use therapies first, you know, mm-hmm. the first uh, line of defense, so to speak. Is there something you'd like to add to that? And th- this is this is right, Kathy, because when you know back in the 90s, that's what we did in the UK. We relied on antipsychotic medicines. That's all we did. We gave people pills. Um, it robbed people of their personalities. It robbed people of their ability to, to function. And all the research evidence suggested that all we were doing were shortening people's lives, and, and that was it. And when we worked with the government down at Westminster in the UK on Always a Last Resort, it was it was at that time, which was back in 2007, that we realised that 
wow, yeah, all we have been doing is, is just that. We've been killing people rather than helping people live. So we do that and then we do look at what can we do instead of prescribing a medication first and foremost. As you said, there is sometimes a need. There is sometimes a need for a very, very small, short course of uh, a medication, maybe as an adjunct to to talking therapies or um, goal therapy or Montessori therapy or psychotherapy. But, you know, we, we do that in the UK now. We're much more aware and we're looking at other options and alternatives and looking at um, dementia-friendly communities, which I know, Laurie, is one of the things that you're looking at over here, Mm-hmm. Which, is, um, which is a fantastic way to move forward and we look at using Dementia Friends as well, the Dementia Friends scheme that our Prime Minister has launched. So we're, you know, we're very much looking towards helping people live a fantastic quality of life with dementia. And I think the other thing to, to bring in there is this, uh, the negative language that we see being used mainly by the press but also by some professionals working in the field of, of dementia. And it's something that whenever I see it, I jump on it straight away because, you know, we shouldn't be thinking in terms of people suffering from dementia. We should be thinking in terms of people living with dementia. We shouldn't be thinking about people wandering because people who walk, they walk with purpose. They walk because they're trying to find something. They know why they're walking. And it's a challenge for us to find out why that person's behaving in that particular way and then finding a solution. So coming back to that earlier statement about the problem is only ever a solution in disguise. Yes, I I totally agree with you. Um, With the verbiage is so critical, and it gets back to even what what Linda McLean was talking about Mm -hmm. in terms of living with gratitude and how we look at things and (laughs) Um, how things are perceived, because it sets the stage if someone is living with the disease or if they're living as the disease. And, you know, I would like to see nobody live as the disease. There's so much more so much more uh, to it than that. Can you talk, um, now you, you had uh, mentioned you do this, you can do this by Skype or you can, you can do counseling in person. Um, are these individual or do you ever do group sessions? Uh, with hypnosis, individual sessions, yeah, individual, either via Skype or we are mobile. You know, we go and visit people in their own homes, in you know, in the area uh, between Chino Valley and Phoenix. So we we do visit people at home. Group group therapy, group hypnosis is not something that we recommend, and it's certainly not something that we ever do, because everybody's individual and everybody responds and reacts in different ways, especially. You know, when you're living with dementia, and especially if one of your challenges is your short-term memory and your concentration, because we really have to focus on on that in, in uh, during the session. We have to focus on helping the individual manage sure. and control their concentration span, and everybody's concentration span would be functioning at different levels. So we never ever recommend, and we never do group therapy. What we do do, because um, when Kathy and I work together, one of, one of us would work with the individual living with dementia and the other will work with the carer to help with carer stress. So that, you know, because as you know, as you know, Laurie, carer stress is something that 
can lead to lots and lots of different issues and problems for everyone. Um, and, and again, just going back to the UK, we have a, a national dementia strategy in England. And one of the strategies within that strategy is a carer's strategy. So a recognition that carers also need support, also need help. This wasn't the case until the National Dementia Strategy was uh, published because carers were just expected to get on with it. Um, whereas now, that's uh, a different thing altogether. We recognise carer stress and we want to work with that person too. And Kathy and I have successfully worked with uh, a couple of people, a couple of couples who one's living with dementia and the other person is supporting them at home. Some of them are younger people, some of them are older people. So that brings its own challenges as well. Sure. Okay. Um, I want to just throw out to our audience, if anybody has a question or a comment, we would love to hear from you. So you can go ahead and utilize the chat box to type in your question or comment, or you can call in live at one seven one four. Three six four four seven five seven. That's one seven one four three six four four seven five seven. Um, because I know a lot of times people with dementia will say, "Well, hey, you know what works for everyone else doesn't work for me." So how you know how are you doing things different um, so that I know that that it's really going to work for me because I I can't concentrate as as much as I used to be able to before the disease. And I think that that's going to be probably one of the things that I, that I know that I hear from people all the time who have dementia. It's like, well, it works for you, but it's not going to work for me. Um, can you tell us how you do things different in terms of that, uh, in terms of your therapies, um, to tweak them for somebody with dementia, uh, Dr. Dan? Okay, well, I think one of the one of the things to to mention is one of the theories as to why hypnosis works with many people living with dementia. And this is I know uh, Dr. Duff's listening today, so hello, hello, Dr. Duff. And um, his his theory, which is you know a very good theory and makes an awful lot of sense, is that when you take people into a really deep state of relaxation you free up a lot of the cognitive resources. So when you're living with dementia, your cognitive resources are focused on negative things, negative attitudes, negative thoughts, worrying about, oh, I can't do this and I can't remember that person's name and, and, and getting really, really worried and really anxious about it. So the theory is, um, the theory is that Sorry, we have a, an intruder. <laughs> the theory, the theory is that the, these cognitive resources are freed up when somebody is taken into that deep state of relaxation. So, because those resources are freed up, you're able to focus and concentrate on the positive aspects and the positive elements of, uh, you know, the challenge. So that's the theory behind why it possibly works for many people living with dementia. Some of the things we would do differently with somebody living with dementia as opposed to somebody who is, who is not living with that particular challenge are things like spending an awful lot of time helping the person with their concentration, helping the person with their, uh, their memory issue. We can also combine something called Montessori therapy, 
which I'm sure many of your listeners will be aware of Montessori therapy, Montessori therapy in relation to children and children's nurseries. A guy called Dr. Cameron Camp over in the US looked at Montessori therapy and thought, I wonder whether this will work for people living with dementia. If, if there's anything I can do to kind of design a tool, a system, a strategy to help people's memory. And what um, what Dr. Camp came up with was something called a spaced retrieval technique. And with a spaced retrieval technique, if, if you're working with somebody who has got very, very poor short-term memory, their immediate memory, working memory, is very, very short. You can use techniques where if you get that person to remember a particular thing for 12 minutes, then it will be lodged in their long-term memory and they will not forget it again. So that's that's some of the things that we can use in hypnosis. We can you know introduce that and use that technology, that um, technique in hypnosis. So it gives you an even stronger opportunity to help that person. Okay, great. There's, there's the two differences. Okay, I did have somebody uh, shoot me an email, and he said if you're looking for a, a test person, um, Michael has dementia, and he would love he he's able to use Skype, and he would love to uh, to talk with you a little bit further on this and see if you could see if you could help him at all. Um, Michael's got just a great voice and uh, has uh, does a lot with our Congress here, and um, just a huge huge advocate. Um, so if you want to connect, I'd be glad to co- connect the two of you to yeah, talk about he, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, can, you can email um, Kathy or you can look on our website and find all the, all the details on the website and all the information he might need in order to contact us. Yes. Okay, great. DementiaTherapySpecialist.com. <laughs> and Laura, okay. I was wondering if I could add a little something to that. Please do. Uh, what we were talking about, and that is, uh, when it comes to hypnotherapy, it's very important to have the proper training in this understanding mm-hmm. dementia. And a lot of us think, oh, we know all about it. We know all about Alzheimer's. We know what it's like. And No, um, I, I was amazed at how much information I got from Dr. Dan when we originally you know, connected and I trained with him and understanding how to properly assess someone as well. So there's things we do teach... Um, how to use hypnotherapy for people living with dementia, and we also have a, a distance learning course. So it's not like I'm just trying to sell something here. I'm trying to say <laughs> it really is important to learn uh, more about it, and not just say, "Well, let's you know, anybody who uses hypnotherapy, let's just use it with dementia." And you know, Dr. Dan, you can add your thoughts on that. But I wanted to make sure people understood that. I think it's very yeah, important to know these things. Absolutely. Anybody who's trained in hypnotherapy needs to do additional training to to use their techniques with people living with dementia because as you asked earlier, Laurie, what is the difference? How would you do it differently? And there are many, many ways and many, many differences. So clinical hypnotherapists and psychologists and uh, medical doctors, nurses, anyone anyone who is trained to use hypnosis who wishes to use hypnosis for people living with dementia do really need to do uh, additional training before they do that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I I would think that that could be really dangerous, if not just because 
uh, you know, of the, the ramifications there um, with that. Now, you guys are starting um, your first international dementia conference. Can you tell us about that? What's that all about? Kathy, that's one for you. <laughs> November 5th and 6th in Phoenix. We've got a fantastic lineup of speakers, including Dr. Duff and myself and Dr. Nightingale and Dr. Roger Bullock, also from the U.K., uh, Gary Fitzgerald, um, Dr. Dan, you, <laughs> you know him very well. He's a great person to come in, in here. But we've got uh, two days of just jam-packed workshops, and it's you know people living with dementia, caregivers, executive directors of facilities. We're offering continuing education credits also as well, um, 14 hours on that, and it's just going to be just a ton of information in those two days. And today, only for your listeners, um, and I, there's a link on your site there, but we're offering a $50 discount for people who want to sign up today for the conference, and that's uh, DementiaTherapySpecialist.com, and you'll see the International Dementia Conference page. So it's going to be just a really great two days of uh, learning a lot about cutting-edge therapy. This is what it's all about, is providing cutting-edge therapy for people living with dementia. And okay. Of course, the, uh, the, the highlight of that, Laurie, is that the opening keynote is going to be delivered by somebody living with dementia who will be supported by um, his wife. So Ollie Olson, he's called. He, he lives with dementia. He lives in Sedona with his wife. And they're going to be opening, doing the opening keynote. And it's going to be fantastic to hear that because they're going to stand up in front of all these people and tell us how it is. Tell us what it's like to live with dementia day by day by day. The challenges, the challenges they have to overcome and how they actually manage that. And, you know, of course, that's what we want to hear. And as Kathy said, we've got some fantastic speakers coming from the UK and the US but the actual, you know, the, the the big thing is these guys themselves standing up and talking about what it's like to live with dementia. Yeah, that um, is that is so critical to be able to hear that. Um, in our webinar series, Dementia Chats, we we um, have these conversations twice a month, and and people are just shocked at what they're learning. And we shouldn't, none of us should be shocked <laughs> by learning. <laughs> From these people, um, you know, it's just that it's not what we've done in the past. Um, but it, it, it's uh, their insights are so powerful and so helpful, not only to them but to those caring for them. And um, and it really, you know, I, I'm so glad to hear that you're having somebody um, at your conference speaking because it brings it home to what true person-centered care is. I mean, it really wraps a big hug around it all and brings it home in terms of what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. And um, if we don't listen to the person um, who's got the disease and understand how they're perceiving things, we can never, ever make changes that are going to be substantial and effective if we if we don't take them to heart. Um, so kudos to you guys for doing that. I think that that's very, very important um, piece of the pie. 
they're going to be running a workshop as well. We've got eight workshops running over the two days, and they're going to be facilitating a workshop as well. So, um, and I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what the subject's going to be that they're going to run, but it's going to be fantastic because, again, it's going to be all about living with dementia and the challenges and how they overcome it and maybe something about, you know, how it may put a strain on relationships and how relationships change when somebody's diagnosed with with dementia. So it's going to be a very, very interesting interesting session. And the whole two years, it's just going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interactive. It's going to be great. So, people out there, come and to also, the conference. You'll have a fantastic time. And also want to mention, again, focusing on those people living with dementia, we're offering a free ticket to people living with dementia when, you know, the carer or whoever is coming with them buys purchases a ticket. So, and it's still $50 off to them, uh, to the person who's buying the ticket, but the person living with dementia that they're coming with can attend for free. Okay, oh. and you said the the location it's in um, Arizona, is that correct? In Phoenix, right? In Phoenix, okay. And um, can you tell us how much a, a ticket costs? What the what the general charge is? It was uh, the standard uh, price is five seventy five, but we reduced it today only to five twenty five, so fifty dollars off. And again, um, so that would be if somebody living with dementia comes and for free, and then somebody else would buy the ticket. And so it would be <clears throat> kind of like half price of that, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. And for two for two full days to hear hear the experts and to be able to interact, because um, right. it sounds like it's not all just a straight lecture. Um, no. I think that, that that's wonderful. Will there be um, any examples of hypnotherapy for people to be able to see how that works or... Yeah, there's going to be a session run by uh, Maria Boylan, who's one of our dementia therapy uh, d- dementia therapists that trained with me. Um, and Kathleen, when Kathleen came to do her training with me, Maria Boylan, who's a neuroscientist based only in LA, she's doing she's running a workshop on hypnosis, and she'll be using role play. So yes, there will be a really interesting session after that. Great. And as far as um, time of day, can you tell us, uh, you know, on the two days, the start and finish time? Okay. On on day one, we have um, people who want an early start and people who like to get up early in the morning. We have a a 7 a.m. yoga session (laughs) run by um, Dr. Colson's wife. Dr. Colson is a a well-known dementia specialist. Yeah, and uh, his wife is running a yoga session just to get people it's in the brain get, power. People, get, okay. get people limbered up. So that's uh, on day one. But, you know, it's people can start to come in and register eight, half eight, nine o'clock. Then it gets underway at half past nine on the first day with um, the open of the, of the conference and then the presentation from Ollie and his wife on uh, living with dementia and what it's like. And then the day flows from there, really. We've got uh, lots of workshops going on throughout both days. So people start coming in whenever they're ready, between 8 and 9 o'clock. Uh, and, and then there's lunchtime. Uh, there's a lunchtime debate on one of the days between myself and Dr. Roger Bullock. And there's also an example of Montessori therapy 
with myself and Dr. Simon Duff. Um, we'll let you work out who's going to be the therapist and who's going to be receiving multisorry therapy. So that'll be done uh, at a lunchtime event because we use Montessori therapy to enhance the dining experience of people living with dementia because, of course, diet and nutrition is one of the big challenges that people face, especially in care facilities. Um, so, you know, we make a big thing of meal experiences and we try to work with people to enhance that dining experience. So an example of that is people who have forgotten how to get the food from the plate into their mouth why have they forgotten? Is it because of the process of dementia or is it because in a care facility these skills have been taken away from people? So we use Montessori therapy to help people relearn that skill. And they're... Mm -hmm. well, did we lose them? No, we're still here. Oh, cause I'm, not, I'm not hearing him. I can hear you. But I'm not hearing I'm not hearing Dan. Hello? Well it looks like both have dropped, so let me see here. Doctor Dan, it looks like he's called back in, so just a second here. We'll see what happened. Dan, are you with us? I'm here. <laughs> okay, Kathy's here. And I'm we'll glad. And you're glad. back. You okay, <laughs> well, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> it's it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, technology's wonderful when it works and when it doesn't. You know, it's like I always tell people, if dementia's here to teach us one thing, it's tolerance and That's to go right. with the flow. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'll let you go ahead and continue. Um, with what you were talking about. I'm sorry there, we, we cut off. Not quite sure what happened there. Okay, so I was talking about Montessori therapy for dining experience, and I'm not too sure how far we got with that. We didn't really hear your example. Okay, so, you... so the example, okay, um, people may well have forgotten how to get the food from the plate to their mouth. And the question there is, have they forgotten how to do that because they've been de-skilled because it's quicker to feed somebody than to support them to eat themselves or is it the, the process of dementia that has robbed them of that skill so we look at the possibilities of what's happening there and we use certain activities which are based around hand-eye coordination and repetitive muscular activities in order to help that person relearn that particular skill it's something that Tom Kitwood at Bradford University, Professor, Professor Kitwood, uh, referred to as rementia, as opposed to dementia. So rementia being the ability to give back some of the skills that the person has lost. And mm -hmm. So we, we kind of do that through um, Montessori therapy. And the, within a week, the individual has often relearned and regained those skills. So the question then is, is this because they've never lost they hadn't lost the skill in the first place, it had just been taken away from them, or have they actually laid down new neuronal pathways in the brain so that they've relearned that skill? Um so again, you know, it just it just goes against the grain of this belief that people living with dementia cannot learn anything new. You know, that again is something that I believe is total nonsense. 
we can always learn new things always and you know focus on the positives rather than the negatives so we'll be we'll be um doing a, a demo of a Montessori therapy session I think oh. it's on day two I can't remember exactly without looking at the schedule it's it's on one of the days and then the other day as I said if you I don't know if you caught the other one which is a debate between myself and Dr. Roger Bullock about the use oh. of technology and whether it's um, robbing people of their ability to use their brain as much as we need to Okay, and it looks like we've got a question here, so let me just pull this caller in. Michael, you're with us. Did you have a question or a comment? Yes, how are you doing, Dr. Dan? Good morning, Michael, really, or good afternoon, depending on where you are. <laughs> I am really interested uh, more in understanding, I guess, about uh, what you're doing there. Uh, I actually live with dementia. In fact, I'm the one uh, Lori had uh, mentioned to you earlier, which I will okay. reach out to you. Um, okay. How far can your I guess process go. For example, uh, I used to love eating food. And one of the things that I'm realizing, and this happens to many of us who have dementia, we seem to lose that taste buds or whatever. Something happens where the food just doesn't taste good to us anymore. Uh, okay. I, I find myself forced, trying to force myself to eat many foods throughout the day just because I need nourishment. Uh, but it's something I struggle with, and there's many other aspects where, you know, I sometimes beat myself up because I can no longer do things. And uh, I mean, can your process eliminate that? I mean, with what you do. Okay. Well, what we do is look at the individual's particular challenge, and then we work on that, and we use different techniques and different uh, approaches to managing that situation but yes that is something that we would work with and uh, Kathy would probably be able to give you even more information about this because Kathy is the person that concentrates on diet and nutrition um, but yes we can we can to help did we lose them again I am um, Kathy are you still there Oh, we lost Dan for sure, and Kathy looks like she's still on the line, but I'm not hearing her, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with that. So I apologize. We'll wait for we'll wait for him to call back in again. Here we go. Here, here uh, I am. And hello, hello. I don't know what's going on, but we've got some some bad connections going on here today. It looks like now some we lost. Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, it does happen. So, okay, um, so yeah, Michael, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, I don't know how far we got, but um, through approaches and techniques, guided visual imagery and other techniques, we can look at you know what's going on and try and find a solution to that. Of course, not the, the biological processes of dementia are not always the reason. They're not always the cause of why these things happen. You have to have a look at what else is happening in the individual's life and environment. And, of course, things like stress also play a part in, in these problems and these issues. So if you, if you think about dementia as a triangle, so if you think about the fire triangle and replace it with dementia, and if you have at the bottom of that triangle on the bottom line dementia, 
and then running up one side, the left-hand side, having something like anxiety, and then the other side, fear. Those are the things that fuel dementia, anxiety and fear. So that's how a dementia triangle. And very often, those issues have an effect on people's confidence, on people's self-esteem, and on you know lots of other issues. And I'm, I'm teaching mother to suck eggs here because you're living it, you know these things. So we would use those kind of things to think about, okay, what, what approach can we use, what technique can we use, and how should we do it? And, yes, yeah, so that's something that we could work with. Like any other therapy, like any other treatment, whether it's pharmacological or non-pharmacological, there are no guarantees to a successful outcome. But it's something that we would uh, work with. Does that answer your question, Michael? Yeah, it, it does. I, I'm just wondering, uh, based on what you just answered, is it really more than because of the way somebody thinks and you're, you're, you're really trying to get them to think and calm down and that allows them to think differently? And what I mean by that is I've always been the type of person, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, but I'm a true believer that you can control your mind based on how you think, uh-huh. and I've always been one to always keep myself calm under various situations and think very positively, so it didn't affect my outcome negatively. Mm. Yeah, would and it I still work right. on somebody yeah. like me? Yes, yes, it would. Because I'm already doing yes. all those things. Yeah, but because you've still got those those processes, that fuel is still there. You've still got that underlying fuel of anxiety and fear, and um, those challenges that you face every single day, how can we deal with it in a different way? What can we do differently to change that? And also looking at what else is going on in your environment as well and in your life because you know, lots of things change when you, when you live with dementia. Things change in your life. Things change in your uh, networks, your friends, your relationships, your family. Lots and lots of things change and they all add to stress. They all you know, increase anxiety and stress in your life and these are some of the things that can affect everything that happens with somebody living with dementia so there's lots of different things and lots of different ways and i think um we can we can talk about it but we can you know michael we can contact each other at some point and have a, a better in-depth discussion about it okay thank yeah. you thanks for thanks for calling in michael great question i think uh you know, one of the things is, you know, looking at your angle, the anxiety and the fear, I mean, it, it definitely kicks things up with dementia, but it, it, it harms all of us, bottom line. Yes. Yeah, um, but but with dementia, it's it's just so much more prominent. And, and I think that people really have to look at the environment that the person is in. I, I loved when you were talking about the, the Montessori um, aspect of, um, you know, feeding somebody and, and allowing them to eat, or have we taken that skill away? And that's a that's a great question to pose and to analyze because we do take away a lot of things because we can do it better or faster or whatever, and it's more convenient for us. But that is not person centered care. There is another thing about that. There's another thing about that, Laurie. With um, you know. You've been living all your life out in the community, out in the big wide world, and your your mind has developed. 
an ecological inventory built on environmental cues. So everywhere you go and everything you do is supported by environmental cues. You have um, taxis, you have trains, train stations, signs, street signs, post boxes, phone boxes, churches, pubs, um, schools, you know, things that we see every single day. Birds flying in the sky, sun shining, rain, snow, especially if you live in England. And what happens when somebody gets to the stage in dementia where they need to go into a care facility is that very often all these things are lost overnight. Your environment changes totally and completely and you don't have anything familiar and those eco that ecological inventory, those environmental cues have gone. So how does that fuel the dementia? You know, if, if dementia is, is about confusion, if it's about disorientation in time and place, don't we fuel that by taking away all those environmental cues? So I think that's something that has to be, you know, something that is really important to remember. Um, if you look at a lot of care facilities now in the UK, we bring all those things into the care facility. So we'd have a pub, we'd have a nursery, we'd have lots of different things that that are built on those environmental cues. And I think that's a really important thing that we have to remember and we have to take into consideration that removing all that fuels the dementia even more. And even the way colors are seen and perceived is different. Yes, absolutely. Can you expand on that for people, uh, Kathleen? Well, I noticed we were talking about how um, in one place um, they used red toilet seats thinking, Dr. Dan, wasn't it, they were thinking that it would be more noticeable or something, and really it means danger. You know, people become yeah. incontinent not because of why we think they became incontinent, but <laughs> but for other reasons. Yeah, yeah I well, mean, that... co co color is something that, that changes for people living with dementia. Older people in particular, not so much the younger guys, but the older people in particular, lose the ability to see colors on the low end of the color spectrum. So you have to use colors on the high end of the color spectrum. So basically you're looking at primary colors. Mm -hmm. But as Kathy said, you try to avoid using red because the brain perceives red as danger. So you would mm -hmm. avoid red, um, but using other primary colors to help that person see. And of course we have lots of evidence now, lots of research to support that having high-level lighting not only improves the quality of life of people living with dementia, but it slows down the progression of the disease. So if you can use all these things, all these environmental enhancements, you're slowing down the progression of the disease. So that itself is improving quality of life. And that's what dementia therapy specialists are all about. We're about improving quality of life. There are lots and lots of scientists out there trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's disease, you know, we've got over 100 types of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is just one of them. But there's scientists out there trying to find cures and various reasons as to why people develop dementia. What we have at the moment is the ability to make sure that people live well with dementia. And the environment is a massive, massive part of that. 
making sure that um, we have high-level lighting, making sure that we have the right color scheme, the environmental cues, and just really making sure that we can reduce things like sundowning syndrome. And sundowning syndrome usually starts whilst the sun starts to go down and people's um, senses become heightened, their anxiety levels increase, and they begin to have issues and problems and things like hallucinations, both auditory and uh, visual. So making sure that your environment is going to reduce all those risks, again, can only have a positive impact. So as, as Kathleen said, the environment is absolutely crucial, and colour schemes are you know, at the top of that, top of that list. And as okay. we say, even carpet carpet patterns and you know, people with Louis body dementia may think <laughs> there's a snake on the carpet that's not not yeah. really a snake or something. So yeah, to be very very conscious of that. When you were talking about um, the primary colors, I think it's important for people to think of contrast being strong mm-hmm. contrast because the. Mm-hmm. The pastels, they just blend in as we age. I mean, I'm I'm in my mid-50s now. I'm noticing the change myself already um, in my eyes. And, you know, I need a lot more light than what I did. You're talking about high-quality light, but... But um, can you can you explain what you mean by that? Because a lot of times there can be a lot of light, but with some light there can also be a lot of glare, which um, many people with dementia have told me that if they see a glare, um, you know, and, and typically it's coming from the side, they they turn, they look, they don't see anything there because they've changed their view or their perception, um, and so. Um, what they say over and over again is that they feel there's a presence or they feel like somebody is there. And mm-hmm. so glare is something that we can easily control and uh, if we're conscious of it. Because, I mean, who would want to feel paranoid that somebody's there? You know, like you have somebody watching you, and that's what they describe it as. So these environmental things are just so extremely important but if you can talk a little bit more about high quality light in terms of what what you mean by that that might be helpful for our audience dan okay i mean the best form of light is natural light the Mm -hmm. more natural light the better and that's for a whole host of reasons you know natural light makes us feel happy it makes us feel um confident it makes us recognize where we are the sun coming through, the warmth, it, all, it makes us feel much, much better about ourselves. But of course, it has a fantastic effect on the brain and the, um, you know, the neurotransmitters in the brain, the chemicals, sorry, in the brain. So it, it kind of gives us that upbeat feeling. Uh, we have in England, I'm not too sure whether you have it in the US because, you know, it's always sunshine, and especially where we live in the desert, but seasonal affective disorder sad mm-hmm. it's something that affects people quite a lot in the uk and uh, so we have to use light boxes and things like that to help people overcome that that, poss- that problem so really it's about natural light as much natural light as possible there's also a talk about using um violet light ultraviolet light uh, ultraviolet b lights and things like that the blue light the blue light that, that makes a difference to us and well-being but my you know, my advice and my suggestions are always to use as much natural light as possible and to make sure you don't have things in that uh, visual field, such as a quartz hook, 
So if you hang a coat and a hat on a hook on the wall, when the light hits it at a certain time of day, that gives you an impression that there's somebody standing there looking at you. So it's things like that to avoid, you know, put them in a cupboard, put the coat mm-hmm. and the hat in a cupboard so that it's not out and about. And making sure you use uh, bland paint, flat paint, if you're painting walls, as opposed to shiny sheen paints, because again, when the, when the light hits that, that gives off glare and that causes uh, people to have issues and problems. And then we have to think about visual spatial challenges that many people living with dementia develop. Um, and especially as Kathy referred to people living with Louis body type dementia, the visual spatial problems and challenges that come with that is something that we need to think about and overcome. So making sure that the floor is all one color, all one floor surface. Don't change from carpet to wood don't change from carpet to tile. Either have carpet or have wood or laminate or tile, all the same. No carpet treads, carpet grippers that you uh, use to separate rooms. Take them away because somebody with a visual spatial challenge is likely to see that as a step. Try to step over it and fall. Um, so making sure your flooring is, is constant. So it's really about having a constant environment that is safe, that is secure, that is familiar, and somewhere that people can get around safely and see see well. Um, so those are some of the things that people really need to think about. Yeah. And, and again, the, the other thing, Laurie, is signage. And this is even in people who live at home and who have lived in the same house for maybe 40, 50 years, may well start to have a problem finding the bathroom from the from the living room or finding the kitchen. So having some signs and something that's going to orientate that person towards that room is also a helpful environmental uh, strategy. Which makes a lot of sense. And I think having, um, you know, clean font um, versus cursive and um, actually having pictures along with the word um, can help improve recognition of that. And again, using using a larger font um, can just make so much sense. Um, and why we don't do that, you know, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I know. Yeah. We, see, we see so many signs on uh, kind of that high gloss, uh, and it can either be a silver or gold, and it looks classy, but it's more difficult for people to read yeah. a, a lot of times. And so I think positioning, I, positioning as well, Laurie, it needs to be at waist height if you're putting a <laughs> sign up and not somewhere high up out of the way because, again, as you said, you know, it's difficult to see. And Jackie Poole did some research. Jackie Poole of the U- in the UK did some research on environments. And she her research evidenced that using Vedana as the font is the you know the right font to use the Dharma. So there's some there's some interesting stuff on environments. There's a lot of a lot of work being done. Um, Stirling University in Scotland and Bradford University in England have both done some fantastic work on on environments. Oh great, Jackie's going to be on the show June fourth. So I'm oh, looking. Sweet. Right. Yeah, she's going to be talking about dementia champions and okay, uh, yeah. all the great work that she's doing over there in the UK. So I'm I'm very excited to to have her on. I was going to mention too. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the Brenners on, uh, Tom and Christine uh, Brenner, who have a new Montessori, Montessori. Mm-hmm. 
book out, um, You Say Goodbye, I Say Hello, and, and I just found that show fascinating um, in terms of the method, and that would be a, another great resource for people to be able to to add into their their toolbox along with if they can you know make it down to your conference and learn more um, with with what you guys have to offer as well um, but very powerful and it just it i mean it just makes sense you know the simplicity of the connection um, getting back to that person centered care is just so so fundamental yet um so easily forgotten. <laughs> In the process. Yeah. Well, those those guys, of course, they were trained by Cameron. Cameron Camp trained those guys, the Brennans. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, see, you know, you know so much more than I, than I do. Um, well, this has just been a fascinating discussion. Now, you guys are also launching a new journal. Can you tell us about the the journal? We've you know we've got probably about ten minutes left here, and I want to make sure that we're able to cover that as well. Okay, well I'll, I'll let Kathy talk to you about the journal. But the first thing to say about that is you've just mentioned Jackie Poole. Mm-hmm. Jackie's written an article for the next journal, so there's an article in the next journal from Jackie Poole. Oh, um, wonderful! But, yeah, Kathy, Kathy's still with us. Yes, the journal is called Dementia Therapy Care. And so it's really providing, again, cutting-edge therapy information. We've got some great authors from uh, not just the U.S., but the U.K., other parts of the the world that are writing for us. And, um, again, this is for people living with dementia or caregivers or executive directors, anybody who's touched by dementia, got some great information. It's bi-monthly, so six issues a year, and you can subscribe online if you go to DementiaTherapySpecialist.com. There's a page for the journal subscription. It's $97 for the year, and that includes shipping to anywhere in the world. So um, it's, it's going to be really great. It's, we just launched our first issue for May and June. So you can sign up now and get the May-June issue and start going on that as well. Wonderful. Of I course, think it's... Mm-hmm. Of course, Go we've ahead. got... Um, in the, sorry. Um, in the next issue, we've got our good friend Steve Poneth has written a, a fantastic article for that issue as well. So every issue, we'll have somebody that's living with dementia writing an article and contributing to that journal. Because, again, you know, what we're trying to foster this all-inclusive village approach to supporting people living with dementia... And the reason oh. why we look la- the reason why we launched the journal is because there doesn't seem to be much out there where people can actually do that, where they can have this um approach and where they can share best practice initiatives from between Australia, Canada, the US, the UK and other parts of the world as Kathy said. So it's um again it's something that I well we want people living with dementia to be a great big part of of that journal. And we've had some fantastic feedback from the first issue. People have had an amazing response to it. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really good thing for for us to do to be able to share that knowledge and information. Well, wonderful. Yeah, let's I just can't... talk about medicines and research. You know, says what can we do now? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. That's it critical. is. It's about what. It's about what can we do now? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't know if you guys added that to the resource directory or not, but we should get that added. There's a place for publications under the Great Reads um, okay. on the we on the website. So if you go up to that partnering options at www.alzheimerspeaks.com, you can go ahead and input that there so that people know that it exists and um, you know go ahead and push them to your website to um, subscribe because. Again, I, I you know I built the resource directory too to try to help connect us all around the world because there's such great information that we don't know about. You know, it's just it breaks my heart um, with all the information that's out there, and so little of it is really known, um, not only by the medical profession but uh, those caring for and those living with dementia. And it's it's just time to correct that that issue and get us all connected so that we can share resources and give more hope um, mm -hmm. to everybody dealing with this disease because it's um, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. That's for sure. Absolutely. That's, that's our message. That's our message is, is exactly that. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. It needs a shift in attitude. It needs a shift in understanding. It needs a shift in people taking on board the fact that, okay, I'm living with dementia, but it's just a small part of who I am. I am still that person inside. I am still that human being, and I just have this challenge. And I think that's that's the approach that you know we want to foster and we want to see happening. But what I'd also like to see, and I know many, many other people living with dementia and working in the field of dementia professionally and, and those caregivers as well, want to see some really good evidence of good care and good practice. The press seem to just want to publish negative things all the time. And I mm -hmm. think we've, we've got a responsibility to take that on board Every single one of us has got a responsibility to make the press see that they need to change their attitude and focus towards dementia. Because you know, even when there's a fantastic piece of information, they, they somehow find some kind of negative slant on it. So um, I think we've all got that responsibility to change that. And we can do it as a group of people because there are a lot of us. And in America alone, if you've got five and a half million people living with Alzheimer's disease, and that doesn't include people living with other forms of dementia, plus all those professionals and caregivers involved in supporting those people, we are a, we are a majority. We're not a minority. We are a mm -hmm. majority when you take it, you know, when you look worldwide. So we are a very, very powerful people. We've got a very powerful opportunity. And I think, you know, with... Uh, as, as a village, it takes a village, and that's something you said right at the top of the program. It takes a village to care for somebody living with dementia, and that village is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And soon, that village is going to be a country, and it's going to be the biggest country in the world. So, let's use it. Let's use that strength. Let's use that knowledge. Let's use that ability and and all that um, all that strength to show people that we are a majority and we're a good majority. And yep. Uh, and we deserve the respect and the attention that's needed to this disease um, and not just all the drama, but the, mm -hmm. the beauty that can still live 
um, with this disease. For our listeners, I would encourage you, if you are a provider of a service or have written a book or know of a product or a newsletter that you want to share, um, again, go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Both words are plural. And um, in the header, click on Partnering Options and to find out how, and go ahead and input those into the directory. The steps are very simple, um, but I built the resource directory to be a uh, international collaborative sharing resource for us because I just felt that there there wasn't that out there. And by pulling us together around the world, we're going to be able to make so much uh, more marked improvement in quality of life for those uh, living with this disease, um, as well as those trying to find a cure or provide services. You know, we're going to, by by sharing our knowledge, um, we're just going to be able to move faster. And um, I, I'm very, very excited about that. I'm going to have you guys, um, uh, Kathleen, if you wouldn't mind just uh, telling people where you'd like them to go uh, for your website and then also for the conference. Mm-hmm. It's Dementia Therapy Specialists with an S on the end, dot com. And there's the International Dementia Conference page, and on there they can sign up. Like I said, it's $50 off today, so it's $525 instead of $575. But then the person living with dementia, if they buy a ticket or their loved one buys a ticket, you know, they get to go for free and someone comes with them. So it's kind of like a half-price deal, um, but the $50 off is today only. So go to DementiaTherapySpecialist.com, and there's also lots of information on there about what we do and in our training and um, the journal and everything. It's all it's all there. So Wonderful. Check it out. Well, um, Dr. Dan, any last comments that you have before we wrap up the show? Well, it's been great um, being on the show. Thank you very much for inviting us. I've certainly enjoyed it. It's been a great opportunity to talk about what we do and um, tell people out there that there's lots of things that we can do, lots of um, positive things. And please get in touch. As Kathy said, the website, DementiaTherapySpecialists.com. And there's lots of information on there. And um, we always have a picture of the month on there as well, so it's always it's always good to look at the picture of the month. Sometimes it's quite humorous, sometimes it's it's a sensible one, you know. But it's um, <laughs> it's a good thing to see. It's a good thing to look at. It's a good website to to go on and look on. And please get in touch with us if anybody has any questions whatsoever. Our email addresses and contact details are on the website. Uh, please do get in touch, ask any questions, and we're here to help. We're also offering a couples retreat as well because we're now incorporating uh, horse therapy. And so, you know, we use several therapies to help people and, and personal assessments and everything. So oh, more great. intense work there. Wonderful. Well, that that sounds great. Um, yeah, I the think couples I... retreat is well worth looking up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the couples retreat. Okay, so mm-hmm. is that... Is that basically for um, someone with dementia and their care partner, or yeah, it is indeed. Okay, yes. okay. I just yes. wanted to wanted to clarify that as a whole. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. I, I am just thrilled to uh, to have connected with you, and I'm looking forward to uh, working with you in the future. 
I'm also uh, very excited to see Steve um, Panis article um, in your in your next publication. I think that that's very exciting. Steve is a member of Dementia Chats and, and helps me with the webinars uh, that I do, as well as uh, several online support groups and so forth. So um, it's great to see that you're going to be including uh, a voice of someone who has dementia. So kudos for all you guys are doing. I really appreciate it. And and have a wonderful week, okay? Thank you, you very too. much. Thank you very Thank much. You. Okay. I just want to highlight for um, people a couple of uh, things that we had on the blog. Um, one is a reminder. Tomorrow is our typical dementia chats um, schedule. And normally we would do that at 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, but that time has changed. I'm going to be doing some traveling. So tomorrow the Dementia Chats webinar will be at 11 a.m. Eastern. That's 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, and 4 p.m. <coughs> London time. You can find that information um, both on the website and on the blog. There's also a real interesting article um, that was written by Nicole Ivey uh, for she's, she really wants to get the NFL to go purple. And so that is an article that, you know, maybe you've got some connections there uh, to be able to help or willing to go and sign up as petition to try to get the NFL uh, behind dementia. Sandy uh, Helperin, who also has dementia, uh, was um, the news for a connection cafe in Tallahassee. And then there's an article by Kevin Wu. He did a couple of them. One was on extra virgin olive oil and about getting eight hours of sleep. That um, got a lot of... Um, it got a lot of comments going on those. So, uh, again, don't forget to check out the website, www.alzheimerspeaks.com. Our next show's coming up. We've got on, let's see, on the 17th, we're going to have uh, Alzheimer's Disease International with us. We're going to try to cover the conference where we couldn't cover it <laughs> from Taipei. Uh, but Mark Wortman and a couple others will be with us to discuss that uh, uh, this Friday. On the 20th, we're going to have the Better Business Bureau with us and then a woman who has written a book about her journey with dementia with her husband. And on uh, May 28th, we are going to have uh, Coral Health with us, and they'll be talking about Music First which is that new application that you can, a uh, new app you can buy for your phone, which has like music prescriptions. It's pretty cool. Um, and then we're also going to have uh, Janet Caltharp with us, and she's going to be talking about um, activities and engagements as well. So lots of fun programs coming up. If you feel like you might be a good fit for the show, please reach out to me. I'm always looking for guests. Again, if you've got dementia, if you're caring for someone with dementia, being it personal or family, um, or if you're an advocate doing something and you just need a little bit of press, we'd love to be able to announce what it is you're doing and to try to help you out there. Uh, last, uh, again, I just want to remind you, if you're in need of finding an Alzheimer's Association, please reach out to Alzheimer's Disease International. That's www.alz.co.uk. Uh, 
And um, if you're looking for a, a study for dementias, you can go to www.alzheimersstudies.com, and that will um, give you a list of clinical trials available. In the meantime, uh, feel free to, uh, again, go to our website and go and get your conscious caring tools, one of which is the memory chip, which teaches us to focus on three simple things. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.